Hi. So Courtney's gone old school again, if you can hear those uh, pages turning. I mean, I was going to edit that out, but I guess not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, listen. The reason I wanted to go old school is because I was sick of autocorrect yelling at me. Okay. So I have a bunch of typos and nobody can say anything about it because I'm the only one that will see these papers. Fair enough. (laughs) Say something. Something. Be entertaining. Say something. I'm giving up on you. A duck walks up to a lemonade stand and he says to the man (laughs) running the stand, Hey, got any grapes? Bum, bum, bum. All right, you're boring. Um, (laughs) I tried. I'll go. You can't just like say say something funny and then expect like, I don't know, results. (laughs) But you're miles. You usually (laughs) deliver. (laughs) Um, Yeah, not on command. It's on a whim. So when we were um, getting ready to get our household and everything, mm-hmm. there was one time I was with your parents and your mom asked me, Miles, do you have anything sharp? And I said, my wits. Did she laugh? Yeah, she did. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably a pity laugh. It honestly probably was. <laughs> she was like, oh, you poor thing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I think my that was wits. like trying to open, open something and it didn't have anything sharp on me. So, uh, do you want to hear something funny? Yeah, because I'm not funny enough, apparently. <laughs> so, earlier this week was Halloween. Mm-hmm. I haven't really let that go yet. Uh, yeah, okay. You're going to like this joke. What dog breed is Dracula's favorite? Which one? You have a guess? No. A bloodhound? Oh. <laughs> There's my Halloween joke for you, but obviously it is... It's November now. It's November, and half of the internet has already put up their Christmas tree, and the other half is still in denial that Halloween is over. Uh huh. So here's a joke for all you Christmas lovers. That's me. <laughs> What's the difference between Santa and a sled dog? What? Santa likes to wear his whole suit when a sled dog just pants. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, I got one more for you. Is it Christmas as well? Nope. Thanksgiving? Nope. Okay. Why do dogs run in circles? Why? Because running in a square is too challenging. Thank you for those jokes. Yeah, you're welcome. That's what I'm here for. So, I'm guessing it's about a dog. What made you think of that? I don't know. Dracula. <laughs> um, no, just kidding. <laughs> a while ago, uh, Courtney and I had just moved to Thanksgiving. That's <laughs> to Wyoming. Moved to Thanksgiving. <laughs> we moved to Thanksgiving. Um, it was actually a few months afterwards or whenever it was. But it was, it was around, maybe it was a year after. Anyway, it was around Thanksgiving time. A year after? After we moved here. Oh, okay. And it was around Thanksgiving time. And I was at work. I worked in a, at a retail pharmacy. And this lady comes in and, you know, we have Thanksgiving decorations up and everything. And she asked me, how do they celebrate Thanksgiving in Australia? And I look at her, I'm like, I'm sorry, what? She's like, Thanksgiving. How do you guys celebrate it in Australia? I'm like... 
it's an American holiday. <laughs> and she's like, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think about that sometimes around Thanksgiving. Like that lady. If you're out there, you're probably not listening. But Miles, <laughs> if you're out there. One thing that you need to understand is that the world, no, 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 the sun revolves around America. Okay. The world does too, but like. The universe. The and universe. America circles. is the center of the universe. Exactly. To be fair, since my mom is American, we did have like every now and then we'll have like Thanksgiving dinners and stuff, but it was like, I don't know. So how did you guys celebrate the 4th of July since it was in? <laughs> oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Since it was during your winter time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've got that question too, actually, but Oh, I believe it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Anyway. So dogs. So well no, is there anything like Oh. Um yes. I'm going away next week. Yep. It's only for the week though. Again. Um, it's for like the entire month. But uh, we don't need to talk I'm about here, that. I'm here for Thanksgiving. Um, I got a new iPad, finally. Yep, so now you can quit bugging me about it. <laughs> uh, any podcast updates? We officially hit 2,000 listens. Oh, we did, yes. Do you have any new states? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, another thing. So, yesterday we were kind of, like, talking, because, you know, Courtney's pregnant. Surprise. What? Yeah. <laughs> You're pregnant. Yep. Anyway, we... um. I was thinking about it yesterday, and she's due in in January, mm-hmm. and she's measuring, what was it, two and a half weeks ahead? Uh, Yeah, about two weeks. Two weeks. Mm-hmm. She's measuring about two weeks ahead, and I was thinking, like, potentially, our new baby could be here by the end of next month. Yeah. Which is crazy to think about. I'm at this point where I'm definitely over being pregnant, so I would be totally fine with that. And Courtney has been sending me TikToks of 29-week-old babies because that's how old... Um, gestational. Yeah, gestational age for the baby. Mm-hmm. I do that every week. I look on TikTok of, like... This is going to sound super morbid, but people who've, like, had their babies early, mm-hmm. starting at, like, 25 weeks I was doing this. And obviously, like, I don't wish that upon anyone, but it's really fascinating to see, like, the size of the babies mm-hmm. around that age, like, outside of the womb. So. Yeah. Because how at your last session um, appointment, what was she weighing? Like three and a half pounds. Mm-hmm. And that was that's about half of what Harper was. Yep. So. Yep, yep. Real fun. We're almost there. <laughs> Stay tuned for pictures. And life. And life. Um, yeah. Anything else? I think so. Cool. That was kind of a boring update, but we did it. <laughs> so my story today is about Lassie. No. Lassiter. Carlton Lassiter. So (laughs) this story is pretty similar to other stories we have done, but it's also contradicting what I just said. Very unique (laughs) to itself. Okay. Like we haven't done a story like this. And I think you'll understand what I mean when I actually tell you the story. But it's like the others in the sense that it's not like the others. No. Is that Um, what you mean? (laughs) No. Okay. Uh, No, it has similarities, like similar aspects but it's very unique to itself. Um, okay. It is about a dog, but it's also about a man. Okay. So, do you know who Leonard Sapala is? No. Well, that's who we're talking about. And his dog, Togo. Haven't heard of Togo either. Really? 
Interesting. This is a recommended story. This was recommended by, I'm pretty sure, Jesse. So shout out to Jesse. Hey, Jesse. It's been a while since we've said your name on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's get into it. This is It's a pretty cool story. I think you're going to like it. I believe you. So Leonard, he more often went by his last name, Sepala, or Sepala, I think is how you say it. But he also went by the nickname Sep. So I'll probably bounce back and forth between Sep and Sepala. Where is he from? Uh, Norway. Yeah, okay, no clue. <laughs> <laughs> so he was born September 14th, 1877. Do you know what sign that is? What is it? Do you know what sign that is? Yeah, what What was the date? September 14th. That is a fish. Pisces. No. <laughs> Libra. Virgo. <laughs> Virgo. That was going to be my next guess. <laughs> you should become an astrologer. <laughs> I'd be um, great at it. We were talking about numerology just recently too. Yeah, we were talking about that in our like, we, drive. So we don't the, really the emergency room. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Um, yeah, we don't really believe in that stuff. At least I don't. I don't know if you do. Maybe to an extent, but not completely. I'm not sure. buying it. But I don't. Know, do you? You also astrology? No, not really. Okay. I just think it's fascinating. I just think it's also funny that you give that disclaimer every time we talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, we do. I just don't want people getting the wrong impression of us. <laughs> well, uh, Sep is a Virgo. He's a Virgo. Yeah, so whatever that means to you, that's how he is. Um, he was born in Norway, and he is the eldest son of Anne and Isaac Sapala. When he was two years old, I feel like a lot of my stories, this happens at two people like make a life-changing move <laughs> but at two years old his family moved to an island called shadavi and that's not how it's spelled but like i googled the norwegian pronunciation and that was what it sounded like it was okay. like shadavi but it's like s-k-j-e-r-v-o with a dash y-a i love it is what the island is named cool <laughs> anyways while they were there his dad worked as a blacksmith and a fisherman and they lived like a modest life but with his professions he actually built or he built like a relatively large estate so like they had a comfortable life when sep was 23 he uh emigrated to alaska during the gnome gold rush gnome is a town in alaska he had a buddy over there that convinced him to to immigrate over there and join him in this and then while he was there, he became a, he, he got a job as a dog sled driver. Cool. Yeah. And this was a job, like this was hard work, you know, um, and a lot of people, you know, you put in long hours, it's cold, you have to handle dogs, you're usually moving cargo and he absolutely loved it. And so when most people, they would work, you know, a normal eight hour day and they would put in at most 30 miles with their dogs and he would go above and beyond and like go anywhere from 50 to 100 miles and easily like voluntarily work 12 hour days because he just loved sledding with the dogs all right okay he also kept his dogs quote in form all year round which is pretty unique a lot of people like during off seasons didn't really use their dogs but he liked having them pull like a cart that was on wheels rather than a sled during the summer Uh, And he just kind of, like, kept them at it all year round. In the year 1906, Sapala became a citizen. Um, Of Alaska? 
of the United States. <laughs> so yes, Alaska's in the United States. Uh, surprisingly, I'm just kidding. Um, and then in 1913, he inherited his first team of sled dogs. His very own team. Yeah. What was he doing before with the dogs? I mean, they were just part of his work. Okay. But this was like an actual team that was meant to be... I mean, uh, not that the other dogs weren't meant to be sled dogs. Basically, it was kind of by chance. So the guy who owned the company that he worked for, his name was Lindeberg. He was the supervisor at this company that he worked for. He's the person who convinced him to move over to Alaska. And he had brought the puppies from Siberia as a gift for an explorer named Roald Amundsen. Anyways, um, he was hoping that Roald would use them for his upcoming expedition to the North Pole. But Sapala was assigned to train the dogs, and he said, quote, I literally fell in love with them from the start. I could hardly wait for sledding snow to start their training. So then when Roald canceled his trips a few weeks la- his trip a few weeks later, Lindeberg gifted the dogs to Sapala. So he had his very own personal team that wasn't like That's kinda part nice. of his job. It was his team of dogs. That's pretty nice. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. In nineteen fourteen, he decided to enter his first race kind of on a whim. It was actually very last minute. The race was for the All Alaska Sweepstakes. And this trail is actually, I looked it up. This was pretty, like, rigorous, this race. Mm -hmm. So the All-Alaska Sweepstakes was an annual dog sled race that was held in Alaska during April. Uh, Mushers would travel from Nome, where he lived, uh, to Candle. And they would travel along the Bering Strait, which is right above the Bering Sea. Okay. The race between 1908 and 1917, the race was held 10 times it was annual and due to the united states involvement in the great war the race was discontinued during that time period um up until 1983 so for a very long time but it was crazy because they had a lot of like rules that if i were to consider joining a race i don't know if i would want to because of these kind of rules but also like i didn't realize how dangerous dog sledding could be until reading this but to be in the race, they were required to register by November, and then each team had anywhere from 10 to 20 dogs. The race started in Nome, um, going all the way to Candle, and they basically, like, this was several days to several weeks. It would take them however long it needed to, and they were required to finish the race with as many dogs as they started. So if a dog died, they had to carry the dog with them to the finish line that's sad which knowing that that was even a possibility i'm like why would you want to do that but i guess that was just part of the sport i guess i don't know yeah but the rule i guess was a good thing because it encouraged some of the mushers to take better care of their dogs because carrying a an injured or dead dog while you're trying to win a race is a huge drawback and Mm -hmm. so obviously they were like better taking care of them so i guess it's like on the one hand that's kind of more but on the other hand it's like actually helping the dogs so yeah i mean all i can think about are those so two movies come to mind is so the first one is snow dogs Uh uh-huh have you seen that one yeah where that one's more of a comedy Mm -hmm. and then there's eight below yep which is really sad we've talked about that one we have we have um because yeah i mean those winters get pretty pretty bad 
up in Alaska. Not that I've been, uh-huh. just but just because I've heard. Yeah. Tough job. So with that being said, Sapala didn't really understand the severity of what he was getting into. Um, and his puppies were literally only puppies. Like they were a year old. Oh, rough. And Not so, even fully grown yet. Yeah. And so he went into this race not really knowing what was going to happen. And of course, they they so they were unfamiliar with the trail. His lead dog was named Sugin at the time. And he was relying on this dog who also didn't know the trail. And then a blizzard happened and it kind of turned into a whiteout. And he did understand how close they were to the Bering Sea. Mm-hmm. And along the trail was kind of a cliff's edge oh, no. with a drop down to the sea. And he knew that. And so he kind of slowed down and like stopped racing until it cleared up. And when it did clear up, he realized he was barreling towards the edge oh, no. of the cliff. And he was thankfully able to stop within 20 feet of the cliff's edge where he, and he was able to save all of them but it was a really close call like if he hadn't completely stopped they would have died all of them because <laughs> they would have fallen into the sea with no way to get back up yeah so at that point the dogs had to climb back up the hill so they did they made it back to safety but once they got back into the trail sapala realized that most of their paws were basically like shredded from mm. climbing up and they had broken like their nails and stuff from climbing on the ice um, and they were all bleeding. And then he himself also had frostbite. So he decided to withdraw because he was like, this is just too much for me and for them. And he felt like he had basically abused them. Mm-hmm. And so he withdrew and then spent the next year nursing the dogs back to health. A whole um, full year? Yeah. Well, kind of. So they withdrew. Obviously, this was in April. They were ready technically to race again in August, but... The race didn't start again until the next eight. Oh, I see. Yeah, okay. But he did register them again the next year. But he did. He spent like that full year, like nursing them and then like training them and getting them more prepared. So I don't know if that was me. Uh, I th- I feel like it would be too traumatic of an experience. <laughs> you're one. You're done. Yeah. Exactly. Like we almost died. Let's not do that again. Yeah, but he loved those dogs. He loved, you know, racing. Mm-hmm. Well, sledding. Was there a prize involved in the race for winning? Um, That's a good question. I'm just saying if it was just his passion for sledding driving him to win the race and like be the I... best sled racer or if there was actually like some compensation as well for it. I would imagine there would be some th- some kind of reward, but... I don't know about originally, but in 20... 20- 18 they had a hundred thousand dollar prize oh wow hell i would do that (laughs) you're like wait i take it back i'm just kidding i only have three dogs and amara isn't really suited for the snow she's not suited for anything outdoorsy true she's such a little princess so another thing too is that this race was 408 miles so however long it took you to go that distance and keep in mind, like, people who were working with their dogs, like, in that job would go at most 30 miles a day. Mm-hmm. But I'm assuming racing with a dog might be different or racing with the dogs. So, I don't know. It'll take definitely a couple weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Because even in a, in a car, 400 miles is quite the distance. I don't like driving 400 miles straight. I like traveling. 
Now imagine doing that in a blizzard with dogs. Nah. <laughs> imagine doing that in Wyoming. <laughs> Just any time of year with dogs. The next year, 1915, he entered again. And this is kind of when Sapala's racing career took off. Um, after a close competition between him and an experienced musher named Scotty Allen, Sapala defeated him on the fourth day of the race. So it took him four days. Heck yeah. <laughs> and he finished actually two hours ahead of Allen, who was a wow. quote unquote cha- uh, champion at the time. Wow. And then he went on to win the race the following two years as well. And then they shut it down until 1983, that specific race. So he kind of got, you know, a good reputation for those three years. Mm-hmm. He was really well known at his racing and how well he was with his dogs. Um, but before we move on to another part of his story, I want to talk about one of his dogs. Is his he- name Togo? Yes. <laughs> So, Togo, the legendary Togo. Legend, wait for it. Dairy. Dairy. Togo was born in 1913. He was part of that litter that was gifted to Sapala. Was he the favorite? He was actually the runt of the litter. And he at, he was born with a condition that was pretty painful that basically like caused his throat to swell up when he was a puppy so he was the runt and he was a little bit defective (laughs) and i mean same he was also like kind of wild like he was described as being like mischievous and rowdy and bold and to the point where like paula was like yeah this one's probably not a good match and he gave him away when he was six months old he's giving off motley vibes (laughs) i was thinking the same thing (laughs) Because we love Motley, but that that those are his characteristics. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? Mischievous, bold, what else? Rowdy. Rowdy, yeah. all the above. Before he gave him away, there was one time that Togo jumped over a seven-foot fence, oh. but he didn't quite clear it because he got tangled oh, and no. stuck in the wiring. He was fine, Okay. but he got stuck. Anyway, so Togo gave him away, and was basically just like yeah this is probably a better call however his uh life as a house pet was very short-lived because just a few weeks into it togo jumped through a closed window breaking through the glass and then he ran several miles and found sapala basically like returned home (laughs) okay the broken window would annoy me so bad but that's pretty cute yeah. Like a dog going all that way just to, just to be with to his you. owner. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cute, but don't break my windows. Yeah. So it says that he went several miles and he found Sapala and the rest of his tribe. Anyways. Good tracking skills, for even for just a puppy. Yeah. Obviously, Sapala was very impressed and he welcomed him back uh, to his team. He's like, all right, well, you know, if you're going to be here, I'm going to put you to work. So he put a harness on him and almost immediately was impressed because he channeled that energy and became very serious. And he showed a lot of like really natural abilities. Oh, nice. But, so the real reason that Sapala entered the race was to win the money to pay for his broken window. I don't know if it was Sapala's window because oh. it was whoever he gave away the dog oh. to. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. To pay for that person's window. <laughs> yeah. Togo's first official day as a sled dog, he went 75 miles without any sort of pushback. 
essentially he was very obedient and willing and Sapala always described him as a quote infant prodigy after that and a natural born leader interesting yeah i think after that first race togo kind of became the lead dog and he was the lead dog during the infinite infamous serum run so now let's talk about that the serum run the serum run is that where they transported a serum how did using you know? sled dogs while they ran <laughs> just yeah, a guess something like that just a hunch so the year was 1925 it was the coldest winter in over 20 years and it also happened to be the winter that diphtheria broke out among oh. their town at this point five children had already passed away from it and even people who had never had any exposure to it were at risk of being killed from it mm-hmm. and sapala had a daughter and her name is sigrid and she was also at risk and so he's like all right i'm here to help how can i you know what can i do the only treatment that was available during this time for diphtheria was an anti-toxin serum uh, however the town supply was not only insufficient but also had low efficacy and because it was past its expiration date yeah okay what that makes sense don't use drugs past the expiration dates yeah i mean that's all they had though fair enough uh it's just like a, a little psa for everyone without the antitoxin the estimated mortality rates in their town stood anywhere from 75 percent to 99 percent, which is not good that's rough yeah <laughs> so it was basically killing everyone or it could potentially kill everyone mm-hmm. so they needed to get more serum and they needed to get it quickly and so the town basically gathered as many mushers as they can and the best ones they can. And so obviously Sapala was like at the top of the list, um, considering his track record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they they so they created a relay of respected mushers to expedite the delivery. Sapala, with his lead dog Togo and the rest of his team, were chosen for the most forbidden part of the trail, basically a shortcut that was really, really dangerous that they would only send experienced mushers to. Mm-hmm. But because of his history, they're like, we can trust you to do this, but you also need to make the call. You know, if, basically, if he didn't take the shortcut, it was going to add at least a full 24 hours onto the journey, and they just didn't have that kind of time. The serum was going to be taken by train to a town called Nainana. And from there, the relay teams would set out from Nome and Nainana, meeting in the middle at a town called Nulato. The whole trail altogether was 674 miles from Nainana to Nome. 674. Mm-hmm. That's more than the race. Yes. And Sapala was initially selected to cover more than 400 miles, basically by himself, hmm. from Nome to Nulato and back. So his section of the trail featured a dangerous shortcut, like I talked about. It was called the Norton Sound, which could save a full day of travel. And it was decided that he was the most qualified of the mushers to attempt the shortcut. What made it so dangerous is that the ice was in constant motion in that area uh, due to currents from the sea and from the wind. And it was on hills. So the ice was slippery. It was moving. 
the whole bit. Mm-hmm. Basically, if the wind pushed the ice enough while you're riding on it, you could fall through and plummet to your death into the water. That's scary. Yeah. <laughs> and there was also high winds in that area that if they were blowing could reach anywhere like up to like 110 miles per hour. Which also during this time, it was already negative 40 degrees outside. But Fahrenheit or Celsius? Fahrenheit. <laughs> I was just kidding. It's the it's the same temperature. That's where like Fahrenheit and Celsius meet. It was really a nerd joke. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> With the wind chill, though, that would be around 116 degrees. Negative 116. Mm. With winds that high. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I I don't like going out in 30 degree weather. <laughs> Positive 30 degree yeah. weather. Fahrenheit, not Celsius. Celsius is fine. So, but. yeah, no, I am with you on that. And he was art like without any wind was already going out in negative. It was like negative <sighs> 25 to 40, depending oh. on the time. Okay. Poor guy. Um, Poor dogs. Yeah. And so he was at risk of falling through the ice, flipping over. Pushing the dogs off course, and then freezing to death. Of course, the the wind chill. Yeah. Um. That seems like it. I think we talked about this movie as well. Uh, the day after tomorrow, mm-hmm. with a big like worldwide blizzard thing. Yeah. It's kind of what I'm picturing. Like 116 degree winds, negative 116 degree winds. Uh, like just freezing people instantly. Yeah. I don't know if that's actually. That what happens. I've never been in that kind of temperature, but I'm sure long exposure is not good for you. Oh, I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another risk is also like if you get caught on a piece of ice that gets broken off, you could be pushed out to sea on top of the ice. Mm. Anyways, there are just a lot, a lot of risks, but this was the fastest route and people in the town were dying. A less experienced musher was likelier to not only lose his life, but the lives of his dogs as well. So um, with the urgency that they needed the serum, Sapala decided to cross the Norton Sound. He set out from Nome on January 28th, several days before he was due to meet the relay in New Lotto. He crossed Norton Sound without any incident. Meanwhile, Scary. the number of diphtheria cases in Norm in Nome continued to climb. To hasten delivery of the serum, more mushers were added to the relay. However, it was too late to inform him that they would be meeting closer to where like the original plan was. Mm-hmm. Um, so after three days and already 170 miles of travel, he came in sight of another relay musher named Henry Ivanoff. Um, but he didn't realize that that person was part of this team. And so he like sled right past him. <laughs> and this guy had to like turn around and be like, wait, I have the serum. Like, hold up, hold up. <laughs> so he had to, to turn around and grab it from him. But when he had to pass back, uh, there was a powerful low pressure system, which I had to look up what that was. And it's basically like, not a storm necessarily, but like the beginnings of a storm. And it's basically like the winds kind of pushed higher, mm-hmm. bringing in almost like more like more of a blizzard. So it was moving towards the trail from the Gulf of Alaska, and he had to decide whether or not to risk Norton Sound again with the high wi- high winds, and it was in the dark. And mm. at this point, he could not really see 
or hear any potential warning signs. So if he decided to go through Norton Sound, he was 100% relying on his dogs to get him through safely. And they did. Nice. <laughs> I was going to say, it almost sounds like he needs a Rudolph dog. Right. But he had Togo. So. He had Togo. It's basically <laughs> the same thing. So, you know, going around the ice meant slowing the delivery by a full day. And he decided to go across. While he raced across, the winds drove the wind, wind chill to an estimated around negative 85 degrees from the real temperature that was at the time negative 30 but he did make it through and his dogs of course were exhausted they made it to their checkpoint at 8 p.m and they had run 84 miles that day and much of it was against the wind in the brutal cold and the dogs were doing 100 of the navigating so of course these dogs were just wiped out Mm -hmm. but because of the urgency they got there at 8 p.m and left again at 2 a.m. Got back on the trail. So the next day, the um, winds intensified intensified into a severe blizzard, which was kind of what was coming, um, with blinding snow, and they continued to cross the trail. They also, at this time, had to avoid rocky cliffs along the shore, but again... Togo was able to navigate them through. With Norton Sound behind them, Sapala and his team now faced the final challenge of the trail, climbing an eight-mile ridge formation that led to the summit of Little McKinley. The trail here was exposed, and the steep grade grueling for the dogs, who were sleep-deprived and had already raced 260 miles over the previous four and a half days. However, at 3 p.m. that day, Sapala and his team arrived at the Golovin and handed over the serum to the next musher. The serum was now only 78 miles from Nome, and it arrived there the next day, Monday, February 2nd, at approximately 5.30 a.m., and was thawed and ready for use by 11 o'clock. Nice. This emergency delivery, also known as, quote, the Great Race of Mercy, is commemorated annually with a trail sled dog race. The serum basically saved his whole entire town from dying. And a lot of it, like 70% of it, had to do with him and his dogs. Like, if they hadn't done that, it could have been a lot worse. So, what's the, what's the time frame? So, like, a, a summary of the time frame. They left to go get the serum on January 28th. And the serum made it back on February 2nd. Okay. so Five like, days. Five days. Mm-hmm. A business week. Yeah. Cool. But at the rate that everything was going, they needed every second, you know. Oh, for sure. Like, that that's really impressive. I mean, I don't know. Just <laughs> put it frankly, the balls this guy had <laughs> to take <laughs> yeah. on that, uh, that, that dangerous. And then, like, the, the dogs as well. Like, I hope they're celebrated as well still. Well, if you think about, too, the amount of trust he had to have on his dogs. Oh, for sure. Because there were at least two days worth of, like, going over Norton Sound, where that in itself is already dangerous, but then Mm -hmm. having to go through that and the tail end of it being in a blizzard. It was like, first of all, the first half of it was at night, where he lost, you know, his senses, basically, Mm -hmm. because he's human. And the second half of it... There was a blizzard, so he mm-hmm. never recovered those senses. So he literally just had to rely on his dogs to get him through. And he trusted them enough to do that, and they did. What a team. 
Yeah. And it's not like the whole thing was smooth sailing. He's like, all right, you guys got this. I'll see you in eight hours. You know, (laughs) it was like intense on edge the whole time praying for your life kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. And like, I know that he did it for the whole time as well, but I'm sure a lot of it, like he had his daughter in mind as well. Well, yeah, I I get that. I was going to ask you actually, like, if you knew there was a potential or a possibility that Harper could die from something, what would you, what would you do? Like, how far would you push yourself to? Oh, I'll do anything. Get the resources for her. I would do her. anything for her. Yeah, exactly. Without question. Mm-hmm. You know? And I don't even know if his daughter got diphtheria, but the fact that she was at risk for it, he mm-hmm. was like, all right, I'm done. Yeah. Like, let's go. Yeah. Seriously. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, that just, it breaks my heart even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to think about it. Yeah, so... Problem solved. That was one of the most historic days, basically, in this whole town. After the serum run, (laughs) he and about 40 of his dogs went on, like, a USA tour on the lower 48 because everybody wanted to see who this hero was and see Mm -hmm. who these dogs were. Um, So he took Togo and the rest of his group, and they had, like, an Eskimo handler with them. Uh, And they went on a tour and they basically like met thousands and thousands and thousands of people had like crowds and stadiums, you know, piling up to just see who this guy was because it was so such a big deal. Um, And at this time, dog sledding was really only popular in Alaska, Mm -hmm. you know, in places where it was cold. Um, But it started to become popular in the States, like the lower 48 because of this. People wanted to experience it. So especially like in new england so there was a a dog sled race at poland springs maine and he accepted a challenge to race against arthur walden who was the founder of the new england sled dog club and the owner of the famous lead dog chinook um and he he's like hey i want to race you since you're so good up in alaska and he like wiped him out sapala and togo like wiped him out and like took first place and they were like Nice racing you. It's like, we've been through Norton Sound <laughs> twice. This is nothing. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people came to see the dogs because, I mean, nowadays, so at, at work every now and then they'll have like, you know, the quote unquote emotional support dogs come through and uh-huh. uh, just like say hi to everyone, give them kind of a break from work. People love those days. So I'm, sh- I'm sure it's something different. Like, let's go see the dogs. Who cares about the guy? Yeah, well, this I want race, to see Huskies. Um, specifically the race against Walden in New England was like very publicized, obviously, because it's like this hero from Alaska and then this like hot shot at New England. Like, I'm sure this guy's great, but, mm-hmm. you know, just the fact that he challenged him to a race. I'm like, what did you think you were getting yourself <laughs> into? <laughs> like this guy from East Coast, United States. Yeah. This is this guy from freaking Alaska. <laughs> But it was good because his the fact that he won was able to allow him to partner with a woman named Elizabeth Ricker to establish a Siberian kennel in at Poland Spring, which was kind of the start of the spread of the Siberian Husky Siberian Husky breed in the United States and in Canada. So basically after this like tour and everything where he went and he like received so many awards, even Togo got like gold medals for this for his honor. Yeah, he stuff. did. But it also started a phenomenon in the United States where everybody wanted huskies. and Everyone still wants huskies yeah. <laughs> today. We've talked about owning huskies. <laughs> They're so cool. But yeah, so he created a 
Siberian kennel at Poland Spring just to kind of help, like, make that transition into, like, warmer states, like, more comfortable for these dogs and things like that. And, Mm -hmm. like, help people understand, like, the kind of care and discipline these dogs need because these are working dogs. They are high-energy, beautiful creatures, but they need a lot of love, you know. Also, he did breed Togo, and the dog's descendants contributed to the, quote, Sapala Siberian sled dog, a which is a sought-after sled dog line, as well as a mainstream show stock Siberian Husky line that was bred in England. Listen, <laughs> if you have a way to make money, do it, right? But I can only imagine how expensive those dogs were because they were like Togo's direct line. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I just thought that was kind of funny. Like purebreds are one thing, but freaking Togo breed. Yeah, could you imagine? Mm-hmm. In 1928, Sapala moved to Fairbanks, Alaska. Um, and then in 1931, the Sapala Ricker partnership ended, which is fine. Okay. <laughs> um, and sled dog racing kind of became a demonstration event and it was even an event at the winter olympics in 1932 sapala did enter the olympics and he won silver in that event you know what other movie just came to mind bolter yeah <laughs> people actually compare the two dogs a lot bolto and mm-hmm. Tiger. yeah because they're like two of the most legendary sled dogs mm-hmm. in existence I'm like, Bolto's not even a husky, is he? I, I think actually, he is, is he? yeah. I don't even know. I haven't seen that movie in so long. I think he's a breed of husky, yeah. I believe it. Yada, yada, yada. So in 1946, Zapala and his wife Constance moved to Seattle, Washington. In 1961, he revisited Fairbanks and other places in Alaska at the invitation of an American journalist named Lo- Lowell Thomas. And of course, he was welcomed back with open arms, but he stayed in Seattle permanently like to live uh, until he died at the age of 89 his wife constance died a few years later at the age of 85 and they were both buried in nome alaska and they were survived by their daughter who made it all the way through adulthood good sigrid hanks in alaska there is oh in nome specifically there is a street called sapala drive which connects the town to its airport and Alaska Airlines has established the Leonard Zapala Humanitarian Award. In June of 1999, a memorial was erected to him in Skibotten. And in 2019, Disney released a movie based on Zapala's feature feats. Sorry, based on Zapala's feats in 1925 in the Sierra Gnome. The movie is called Togo, and Willem Dafoe plays Zapala. Willem Dafoe. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask if there was, like, a street named after Togo, too. I don't know. You don't have to look it up. It's fine. (laughs) No, I wanted to look up what breed is... Balto. Balto. Yeah, Siberian Husky. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. In real life, he was a purebred Siberian Husky. What breed is Togo? Also a Siberian Husky. I'll have to look at another picture of him, because... He's, like... He has, like, a brown coat, though. Or, like, a tan coat. Sorry, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, like, I don't remember him being... I know Siberian Huskies aren't, like, necessarily, like, super fluffy. But, like, I feel like they're more fluffy than Bolto. I'll have to look at a picture of him and look, but... There is a museum that has 
replicas of them, like mm-hmm. kind of like a wax figure. Um, he's pretty fluffy in the replica, but obviously that's a museum. Yeah. Not like the actual dog, but. So yeah, that is the story of the legendary Togo and his owner, Sapala. Nice. Way to go, Togo. Yeah. Are you sure it's not pronounced to go? Because <laughs> he's a sled dog and they go. That was a really dumb joke. I'm really sorry, everyone. <laughs> Good night. We're leaving. <laughs> Just end the recording there. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> Just kidding. Did you actually want me to? No. Okay. <laughs> What'd you think? That was a good story. It had me on edge. Really? Because, well, specifically the, like, the the Norton sound part, I'm just like, when you were describing it, uh-huh. it was, like, building up to this, like, oh, no, what's going to happen to them? Like, is one of the dogs going to die? And they're like, no, they made it. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> and they were fine. They were fine. Um, <laughs> no, the movie I've heard is phenomenal because that's, like, the majority of the movie is them crossing Norton sound. Mm-hmm. And I have seen clips of Willem Dafoe with these dogs. And even the clips, like the two minute clips, I'm like sweating. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, it is intense. And so I don't have many details of like, you know, what exactly he was thinking during this trip. What was, you know, what are some of the emotional or even physical details? Like I know like the main characteristics of the trip, but like, did he get frostbite? Did he lose a finger because of this? Like, did his dogs get injured? Like, I don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. But I I mean, I don't know of any reportings of any of the dogs dying. And knowing that they all made it back, like, other than them being physically exhausted, they made it back, you know? So. Yeah, which is good. So, yeah, if you guys need a good movie to watch, um, go watch Togo with Willem Dafoe. I'm assuming it's on Disney Plus because it's a Disney movie. Disney Plus sponsor us. Did you know that Willem Dafoe Willem Dafoe's name sounds like it's being spoken by a frog and a parrot? Willem Dafoe. Willem. Okay, Dafoe. stop! 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 <laughs> That's a "How I Met Your Mother" quote. <laughs> Is it really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh I couldn't gosh. tell you which episode. I know, like, what the episode is. I, I don't know what season an episode is. I've gotten rusty on my How I Met Your Mother trivia. Need to watch it again. I do. So, um, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. You go ahead. I was going to say, can you see what I mean when I say that it's similar, but also very unique? Yeah. It's a rescue story, like a great expedition. Fight for survival kind of thing. Fight for survival. Took place in the 1900s. We talk about the, the 1900s cold, a lot. Because we talked about that one. Um, like this, this part of the story reminded me of uh, that story you told. Where, about the woman in yeah yeah okay the woman in what the the hero from what was the island called i know that you and i both know what we're talking about yes but i people who's listening who are listening to this podcast can't read our minds so that's why i wanted you to <laughs> well, expand on it they've been listening to us long enough they should be able to know what we mean heroine of wrangle island yeah yeah so it kind of reminded me of that with like the extreme cold and things mm-hmm. like that episode 47 Um, if you want to go back and listen to it (laughs) (laughs) self-promotion tell your friends um but it also reminded me of like solely with like the intensity of like this is a rescue mission you only have so much time to act Mm -hmm. um and then of course like 
the part where he's like traveling around the United States getting all these awards and stuff like I mean we have a lot of stories where that happens which is awesome I think it's great that we as a society want to recognize people who have done really good things you know because it's like how often do we praise celebrities for doing absolutely nothing for being in a movie right right anyone can be in a movie (laughs) but it's like the fact that our society goes out of their way to like give a gold medal to a dog Mm -hmm. and want a dog to go on tour because they want to meet this this canine who helped rescue a village you know what i mean like i just think it's really cool so and we've talked about it before how like people do these kind of uh rescue things like with animals to kind of show off mm-hmm. we've talked about that before but it's like moments like this where this guy he didn't have any like ulterior motives for this little uh like quest so to say uh he just he's like okay the town's suffering i need to do something about it like in his mind he probably wasn't thinking like i'm gonna get recognized for this or anything like that oh absolutely he didn't have a a gopro on him to to film it or like <laughs> uh, a selfie stick to <laughs> document or anything like that yeah um so it's like moments like this where it's like you know i i get when people want to go out of their way to um to do these things for like to influence other people to do something like it Mm kind of like paying it forward Mm -hmm. almost but when people do it just i'm sounding like a broken record now but when people do it for the attention it just well one thing that's really cool about this story is that like he had a very high like chance of losing his own life oh yeah and he still went forward and did it because if he didn't the alternative like would have been way worse you know like he essentially sacrificed himself obviously he still survived it and Mm -hmm. lived a very long and healthy life but he basically like sacrificed himself and his dogs for his entire village Mm -hmm. like it's a very selfless act yeah for sure that's why i thought that was a super cool story so so thank you jesse for the recommendation um i want to watch this movie so next time we have free time to watch a movie let's turn on togo okay we can't do it next week i know (laughs) you're gonna gonna be gone sorry we could do like one of those uh like virtual movie watching things oh sure nah that's not as fun we can't (laughs) cuddle (laughs) uh cool cool well thank you for that story that was um that was really good yeah you're welcome I'll be here all week. (laughs) Yeah, you will be. (laughs) All right. And well, thank you everyone for listening to Courtney's awesome episode today and for your continuous support of our podcast over the last year and a bit. Yeah. Have a good week. Stay safe. Stay warm. Don't forget to follow us on the socials. Yep. Like, subscribe, tell your friends, give us a good rating all the things and send in your own stories to famfamilypodcast at gmail.com yep thanksgiving's coming up so another major holiday tell us what you're thankful for yeah we will read them even if it's like a one sentence we will do it i'm thankful for fam family <laughs> heck yeah you are if we don't get at least two of those i'm gonna be mad and we'll never do a <laughs> podcast episode again yeah he's i'm like just him. kidding cool well we'll see you guys next week bye